And we are the Boo Crew. Welcome to episode 118. Lauren and I are quarantined here at the Speakeasy Studio, and Leo is pumped in via high killdelity terror vision, live from beautiful downtown Eagle Rock. (laughs) Oh man. We're doing what an episode a day right now. I think feels like it. Yeah, it is. We just we just dropped another one yesterday, and here we are again. So we're self isolating, but still able to bring you fun horror centric conversations with guests from the comfort of their own homes using the miracles of modern technology. There are so many terrific new horror films being released to VOD and streaming services. Our guest this time around is starring in a very cool one. We are joined by actor Hermione Corfield from the new creature feature Sea Fever at time of release it's available on demand in digital april 10th gunpowder and skies sci-fi label dust will be hosting the live stream premiere of sea fever tonight which is thursday april 9th at 5 p.m pacific 8 p.m eastern at seafever.watchdust.com it's the first ever live stream premiere of a feature film and you can have your questions answered by the cast and crew via a moderated q a following the credits On this episode, Hermione also talks about her work in the amazing film Rust Creek, Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies, as well as Slaughterhouse Rules, alongside Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Let's dive into it, shall we? (laughs) This is Hermione Caulfield. When the seas get rough, hang out with your shipmates in the blue crew. It went into the water. We're all vulnerable to get infected. I can't see I want you to test all of us. Those things will spread really fast. We need to quarantine ourselves. We're making port tonight. But you don't understand. Can you not hear me? Who's you? Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio is an exciting and phenomenal actor who's an absolute joy to watch in both the thrilling choices she makes in projects and the decisions she explores in bringing those characters to life. Check out this list of credits she's appeared in. Films like Mr. Holmes, Mission Impossible, Rogue Nation, Burstier's brilliant Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies, Fallen, Triple X, Return of Xander Cage, Guy Ritchie, She's King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, Star Wars, The Last Jedi, eight episodes of the TV show The Halcyon, and more. She's won awards for her portrayal of Sawyer in 2018's impeccable horror thriller Rust Creek, and that same year starred alongside Simon Pegg and Nick Frost in the incredible, fun creature comedy Slaughterhouse Rules. She joins us to talk about her new film Sea Fever that hits VOD April 10th at time of release, written and directed by Niessa Hardiman. We are honored to welcome its star, Hermione. Corfield. Yeah. <laughs> hey, thank you so much for hanging with us virtually today and congratulations on this amazing film. Thank you so much. Thank you. What an insane time in the world that we are now living in. What is your current situation where you're at in terms of dealing with uh, the pandemic out there? 
So I have gone back to my country roots and I am in Gloucestershire, um, in the southwest of England, in in the middle of nowhere, really, which is I'm normally in London. So I've properly removed myself and doing things completely remotely. <laughs> Were you in the middle of any production or anything like that that had to be shut down in order to self-isolate and do all that? Well, I was in L.A. kind of for all this stuff for getting behind sea fever. So I had to fly back early from that, like two weeks early, because obviously they then stopped flights. But and I was kind of gearing up for a few things, but everything sort of come to a standstill. Right. The whole world has, right? Well, in Sea Fever, your character Siobhan says the line, you're mistaking coincidence for consequence. Little did anyone know the insane coincidence that themes <laughs> that this film brings to life would actually become all the more relevant at the eve of its very release. Can you talk a bit about what that film is about and the ethics that it shines a light on? Completely. I mean, the idea behind the film, one of the big themes that Niasa explores is magical thinking and science and the marriage of the two and the importance of both because Siobhan comes at it from a purely scientific angle. She wants to problem solve, not disturbed by any human emotion or any kind of selfish motive of saving oneself. She wants to come at it from a global perspective of what can we do as individuals to stop the spread of this disease, which is incredibly, incredibly topical and relevant. And not only is she looking to to stop the spread of this disease to the human race, she's also looking to protect the creature that's creating this progenerative substance herself. And because this creature is rare itself, it's a double-edged sword of responsibility of of protecting this creature and protecting the natural world whilst also protecting the human species and the human world. So both things are going on at once, whereas obviously currently in our COVID-19 world, we're not worried about COVID-19. We're, we're worried about the human race and the effect it's having. But, you know, the two, the theme of responsibility, which is spread worldwide right now, is also a huge theme in Sea Fever. Talk about discovering this project and how you got involved. So I read the script and then I Skyped with Nyasa and we talked about Siobhan and talked about um, her very original way of thinking and the fact that she's not neurotypical and the way she approaches things. And then I went to Ireland to meet with Nyasa and from there we then uh, moved forward with it. And at that point I started really diving into Siobhan as a person and the way that she thinks and the way that she approaches the world. Um, and she was incredibly different to me, but I had to find similarities and find what I understood in her and then also what I didn't understand and then explore those elements so I could get inside her head. <laughs> you always pick such fascinating characters, which are kind of very captivating and, and have these great emotional arcs. What are some of the key characteristics of Siobhan in this piece that perhaps brought an, an extra challenge in terms of the dynamics and polarity that she has within this ragtag group she finds herself with? Yeah, I mean, because it's an ensemble piece, ultimately, with Siobhan sort of, navigating herself around this group it was hard because they were such brilliant actors and all as people and as performers very warm and open and Siobhan had to be the exact opposite to that and be completely different to that and feel like the odd one out feel like a fish out of water (laughs) (laughs) didn't mean that but you know I mean I did mean that but anyway so she she uh it was it was difficult to to be that different to everyone else, but it was also incredibly enjoyable because 
it did bring a completely different approach compared to the the rest of the crew. As I said, it's it's hard kind of switching yourself off because so much of acting is being open and receptive and Siobhan's not receptive. She doesn't pick up on nuances and the subtleties of how people communicate. This sea creature attaches herself to the boat, much like Siobhan finds herself melding with this crew. What are some of the similarities she has with the creature itself? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that is one thing that we definitely spoke about. Um, she sees a lot of herself in the creature. The creature's doing its best. It's not trying to eat the ship. It's just wondering what this foreign object is and, as a result, protects itself and is also just trying to regenerate and connect. And I think Siobhan is also trying to connect. You know, she's desperate to, to feel to feel at home and feel like she's got proper friendships and like she belongs. And I think there's a huge sense of belonging and what, what is belonging and protecting what's different as well as what we recognize to be familiar. I want to talk a bit about the sea scenes and going underwater. Was that a soundstage or were you guys on open water? It looked amazing. So we were in a dive tank in Sweden. So we went to like a proper, where they actually train divers, um, this huge, one was this huge, tall, um, like thin cylinder shaped dive tank. So at the shot at the end, when you see me swimming towards the camera, right at the end, swimming towards the creature, I basically dived into this dive tank and then the camera was right at the bottom and it was like, I don't know how many meters it was, but it was a long way down. And so we had the, our camera woman down there, uh, underwater camera woman down there with the camera and then I had to swim, basically judge how long I could hold my breath for and then be able to get back up again. <laughs> With the scuba diving underwater, again, we, we were in the second tank for that. So one point, which was which was probably the biggest challenge of the whole film, I had to walk along this plank, which jutted out into the dive tank. So I had to walk with all the equipment, which is incredibly heavy, walk along there and then dive in. So that was a shot of me jumping into the water. And then from there, we did all of that stuff underwater, looking at the creature and... Um, trying to prise off one of the tentacles as well. That was all um, in that dive tank. Was this your first time diving or, or uh, did you have a prior experience? So I got my paddy. I don't know what the first for level one paddy um, because of Arthur when I played the siren. So initially they got the, we, we got our first paddy because I think the idea was that we would be able to breathe in the tanks underwater and then be able to come up on action and do all of the swimming for that. So I, I had it, but that was a while ago. So I kind of had to, I had to revisit again and learn to. So in Dublin, I went to this swimming, the kind of the leisure center and with all the diving instructors and relearned how to dive and how to move underwater and all that sort of thing. The crew calls this beautiful fishing trawler home and it's very much its own character. It's claustrophobic. It's gorgeous iron and wood. Let's go into the sets a bit and filming locations. So is that a real boat you're on on the Atlantic Sea? We originally were going to be filming on the West Coast. We ended up filming in Dublin because of the storms. So they going out on the boat was a sort of no-no. But we were we were actually on this, the Neve Canor because it was a brother and sister who owned the boat. And um, they actually went to their fishing family. So when we did all the exterior on the deck shots and actually quite a lot of the ones below, particularly when we bring in the catch and that sort of thing, that was all actually on the boat. So we did do quite a lot actually on a boat. And then... The interior was created to be the exact, um, the exact size of what the inside of the boat would have been. 
So we were in a studio, but it still had the same measurements. So it was incredibly claustrophobic. And to get from, you could go from the kitchen to the uh, the bunks where everyone slept onto the shower room. So it really did feel like this interior of a boat. It didn't feel at all like a studio or or inside, really. So it felt more like a play set. I, I kept on saying to him, yes, this feels like a play. Seasickness wasn't uh, wasn't an issue if it wasn't actually on any water. So it was because we did do at least a week. I can't remember exactly how long we did on the boat, but that first week was tough. And also because we couldn't have that many people on the boat. It's quite small. So we we're constantly climbing on and off the boat. And um, and there was no loo on board or anything like that we were using. So it was very um, it was tricky that first week. I think we would have really struggled if it had been a full seven weeks, eight weeks on the boat. <laughs> did you end up with a bad seasickness yourself? I did struggle at one point. I really did struggle at one point. We had one, a few rocky days and I did think this is going to go horribly wrong if we have to do this. From <laughs> I've, had, yeah. I've had experiences with that before. It is so awful. It's like my biggest phobia. It's terrible. And also, also the thing that was interesting is because when you're actually on the boat, it's, there's always a bit of movement. So you're kind of steadying yourself on your feet. And then when you go to the studio, you have to remember that the boat is doing that. So you have to kind of learn to be unsteady on your feet without looking like you're drunk or, or hamming it up too much. But there has to be, you know, whenever you're on a boat, you always have to be, you're always going to be holding on to something. You just are because you're out at sea, you're on the Atlantic. So that was also something we had to keep reminding ourselves that in reality, you're going to be holding on to something and steadying yourself at all times. Is that ever interesting? I didn't even think about that. But yeah, yeah, that's all part of the magic and illusion of acting, I guess, right? You're thinking in terms of the actual physical space that your character's in. Definitely. And when you're, when you're on the sea, you naturally, you kind of get thrown occasionally in one direction and have to reset yourself. And, um, and that was something we had to keep, yeah, had to keep remembering to do basically <laughs> what about in terms of dealing with the prosthetic effects and some of that goo that is introduced from the from the creature what, what was that stuff like to work with we had i know the first day that when we first discovered the suction tentacle yeah. um, i remember we had a long we had a bit of a, a long wait because we were trying to work out the goo coloring and what color the goo should be but it was it was quite it was i mean it's I loved all the bits of equipment and things. That was really fun. Like all the signs, like all the little Petri dishes and the microscopes and all those little gadgety bits, because it all added to Siobhan's kind of meticulous scientific approach to everything and her little briefcase with everything in it. So the goo kind of added to that as well, because it was the specimen that she was exploring, you know, in the Petri dish. But the, the actual, the actual tentacle that was suctioned to the side of the boat, it really kind of moved. So you go to touch it and we had puppeteers doing it. So then, then it would actually really pulsate and, and kind of try and grab you and that sort of thing. So those were really amazing. I mean, they were unbelievably intricate and detailed. Yeah, so, you know, speaking of, I love the I love your character and the science portrayed in the film, which is quite practical in her thinking, at times going back to science basics to figure out what's going on. Did that evolve in the production stages or was it uh, written that way from the, from the beginning? It was in the original script. I think... What Nyasa was doing was because Siobhan initially is so sure of herself and understands herself to be more knowledgeable than most people that she meets, particularly in her field. I think that the idea was as the infection hits on board and as they come across this creature, she tries to 
she tries to collect all her scientific knowledge and what she understands of of the sea and understands of creatures in the sea to try and grasp at an understanding of what this thing is and what it what it's doing. I think as she starts to, as you said, kind of go back to basics and try you you like other simplistic things. I think that's her literally trying to pull any knowledge to find an answer because she doesn't know. And I think that's quite important in her character. She doesn't know. She's she's not your typical hero. She's not the all-knowing, um, all-powerful person. She's really she's really a girl with a huge amount of vulnerabilities and flaws who's just doing her best with her vast knowledge, but knowledge which is unfortunately not wide enough to know this this creature that has a Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline been discovered yet do you have some great lines in this film and some great scenes i was wondering if you had any particular favorites Ooh, i like the scene when she finally tells them because she's so she's not timid but she's so unsure of how to how to get across to everyone else what what she thinks i mean she's direct but it's only until she says you know she has it's the speech really where she says it's not it's not about us. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's your family, it's your town. It's, 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 it's that whole speech there when she finally turns it on them and says, this isn't about me. I'm not the problem here. You will need to face up to the reality of what the situation is and what it, and what it means to sacrifice in the name of people that you love and care about, as opposed to just thinking solely for yourself at this point. That's my favorite bit, I think, because she really, she really gets across what she means, having really struggled to communicate for such a long time. Yeah, it really becomes that that becomes a real turning point for her character also and kind of brings her into the fold of the group. And then everything everything changes at that point. Definitely. The film does a wonderful job in world building through sound after, you know, once post-production is it was wrapped and everything is on this. The score is very oceanic and wraps the story in otherworldly whale calls almost. And it peaks beautifully with this tear your heart out moment and this song by daughter called shallows what was your reaction the first time seeing that sequence fully produced and that particular song at the end oh god i think because the journey to that point at the end is such a such a, a deep one not only because she's she has to come to that hugely difficult decision in the final moments of the film but she's also for the first time formed friendships and friendships that I think she feels that she deserves. And with Omid, particularly they have a, um, Ardlan's character, they have a mutual understanding and approach to, to life from very different backgrounds and very different walks of life. But they, they have this sort of methodical understanding, which they share. And so I think seeing that final moment with all with all the song and everything, it's it's it was it was very very powerful I think as well because we were all we were all in this together doing the film and and it was as I said it was a, it was close quarters and and felt like a set a play set really because you had to learn to navigate it and feel the space and everything and so it was a 
it was a very um it was a very collective and inspiring and close-knit production so seeing that all at the end just as an experience having done the experience was actually very emotive and and yeah very special and poignant I learned uh, that redheads are bad luck on the sea. Did you know about that superstition before? I knew that it was like, I think it's anti-Celtic sentiment, I think. But I didn't, I didn't understand the depths of it. I think I didn't really understand. The, I knew about superstition in sport because I've experienced my, not actually so much, but some people in my life who've been extremely superstitious sports wise. I understood superstition in that regard. I didn't know that it extended so far to to fishermen and and to the extent that they actually see redheads as a bad omen and um, and other things as bad omens and other things as good omens. But if you think about it throughout time, I guess there has been like I don't know the Rome the ancient mariner and shooting down the albatross. You know, there's always these superstitions and reasons for why things happen um, throughout stories. And I think the redhead thing had to happen so that Siobhan was this absolute other. She was the other that everyone could blame this entire thing for, even though obviously she's actually the problem solver. Right, and yeah. The crew loses their shit when you come on. Yeah, it was crazy. I had to Google it. I'm yeah, like, like, what? Why are they acting real? like this? Yeah. And then I thought about Pirates of the Caribbean and the redhead, and I was like, wait, I wonder if there's some connection there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's a real thing. And lots of people have been like, what's this redhead thing? And I kind of, I kind of knew that that it was a thing. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's more common here. I don't know the the redhead because there is. It's just anti-Celtic sentiment. I think that's been like ingrained, and as a result, kind of found its way onto fishermen's boats. And right, yeah. right. And is sea fever a real thing? Like the the idea of people at sea going crazy? Absolutely, it's a real thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, I'm going back to the rhyme of the ancient mariner, but yeah, the kind of losing your mind because you've got. The horizon is the same wherever you look. And yeah, people definitely, I think it's a real thing. Yeah. Seeing as this is a horror podcast, we'd love to know about your personal experience with the genre and when the first time you remember being impacted by a horror film. Well, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about when the first, the first image that I can remember. And I think it was probably Hitchcock. I just remember catching a glimpse of Psycho and, and that sort of being the first poignant image I can remember. And then after that point, it was things like the ring and paranormal activity. And, um, and it was sort of a, it was sort of an area that was an area I wasn't allowed to, to watch, I guess, as a child. So then it became like this unknown. So when I was finally allowed to watch it, it was this big excitement and something that I hadn't been able to get my hands on. And then from there it's developed into this. I mean, I appreciate it so much as a genre, and recently there's been so much brilliant horror being made and such different diverse horror. But it's interesting you look back and see what the foundation, the first thing you ever saw was. What are some of the qualities that awaken you as an actor within that space? I think it's probably the absolute heightened end of the emotion, like of emotion. I think you can explore reactions to things that maybe are accentuated in those environments, you know, like, fear beyond anything we could ever know or understand and the unknown, you know, the, the kind of scope of the unknown and what that does to a human being, the, the extremities that pushes you to, and particularly like in CVV, you know, it's, it's, there's a, firstly, there's the fear of what this thing does and the, 
brutal way that this thing attaches itself and the damage it causes. But on top of that, it's, it's how do you deal with this situation? It's, it almost always in horror, you get put in extraordinary situations and it's the human reaction to that that I think is really fascinating. Do you have a favorite scene uh, in terms of filming this movie? I really enjoyed the large group scenes. So there was a scene we shot, which was when we were all together having the dinner and it's the first time it's kind of before it tips into absolute chaos and we're all sitting around enjoying eating together and everyone's in a good mood. And it's almost like you want to just stay with that and hope that you then get an insight to everyone in this happy and satisfied realm. But then it just tips into this disaster. And I really enjoyed that. I also really enjoyed the the problem solving when we're when with Omid Ardlan's character when we're trying to work out what we're gonna do. And as you said, we're approaching it from quite a simplistic place with the UV light and all these different things. And it's the, the, the kind of pacey problem solving was really fun to do as scenes and bouncing off of each other. It was really great. Burst Ears 2016's Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies, your introduction into the horror genre as an actor, if I'm not mistaken. You have a very fun scene that gets all the zombie action going. Describe the vibe of being part of this massive cast, bringing such a bold spin on a classic to life. God, I mean, it was a lot of fun, and it felt like a really fun set. I knew Pride and Prejudice extremely well, and I just think it was genius, the spin that was put on it. And you're around all these amazing actors and and comedy actors and straight drama actors and i mean i thought it was genius it was so much fun <laughs> you won two best actress awards for your work in 2018's rust creek the film itself has nine wins and anyone listening to this right now get this on vod asap it pulls you in from go we absolutely loved it what was your experience like working on on rust creek god rust creek i absolutely loved it jen another brilliant director and fabulous to work with. Again, like Nias, it felt incredibly collaborative. And I auditioned for it in, in LA. And then I met with Jen. And um, and then we went to Kentucky. And we were, again, a bit like a bit like Sea Fever. You, you're, you're throwing yourself into this world. We were shooting in the woods. It was December. It was freezing. Um, we did all the water scenes, the big fights. That all happens. It happened in January. It was minus four. And it was... It was, it, I mean, you, you really felt like you were in the world of the film um, throughout. And I really enjoyed that as a challenge. And again, a character that was really interesting to explore this overreaching girl who hadn't, you know, hadn't grown up in the best situation, but was fighting for her chance in life and fighting to, to, to give herself the best chance in life and then gets caught in these absolutely extraordinary circumstances. And it was, it was brilliant. Again, the actors were wonderful and, and created a great ensemble and all the stuff in the the trailer you know the the the, the sets were built in such a beautiful um beautiful way but you know so raw and and different i yeah it was just brilliant i feel like you need like a tetanus shot after watching it after being in the trailer with you. <laughs> did they consult like people who make meth? How did they know? Like that, they I got made, pretty involved in that yeah, process. <laughs> there was lots of like science and chemistry. Yeah. Once and, again, science. Yes, <laughs> definitely. I know that they definitely looked into how you actually are meant to make meth. <laughs> I was I, luckily I didn't have to know. I just had to sort of turn up and be taught on the day, obviously, because so I was being taught as well. Um, so I got it's away not with that, that one. Difficult. 
No, it's not. It's not. That was quite surprising. That was surprising. It was, it was a challenge, actually, like with all the different chemicals and elements, because obviously he pours milk on his head um, because I throw lye on his face. I don't think that's a, um, a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> but, but then we were working out like, cause the lye doesn't react unless it touches water. So then I was, I had to spill over the water and then touch the lye and did it. So there's a lot of like fiddly business going on. And then with the rope and how do I get the rope off with the lye? And there's a huge amount of chemistry involved. So yeah, that all had to be very much thought through. That was so much fun to watch yeah. unfold. It was a very physical role and you also had some really intense fighting scenes. What preparation was involved in all of that? So we did we did a bunch of like I've got actually got quite a lot of footage on my phone that I found the other day of us all fighting together, me and Daniel and Micah kind of doing these sequences and fight scenes. And we did a lot of that in like on mats and in studios kind of thing. And then we went out and did on the day. It took a long time to do on the day as well, particularly my kick into Daniel's face. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all of those grabs and stuff. Cause initially we didn't really have it that he was going to kind of grope me. He was just going to get close to my face. But every time that we did the sequence, I just felt like it was tipping into violence too quickly. Like I, I, I kind of need him in the balls within about a second. Right. And obviously as a woman, you are taught that you need to protect yourself. It just felt a bit quick. So we added in this grope. So then the violence kind of escalates in, in a more organic way. And then, you know, I mean, it gets very violent very quickly still. Do you have martial arts training? I mean, it was pretty intense to see how, uh, like how swift you were on your feet with some of those moves in that particular fight at the beginning. Oh, thank you. I, I don't have martial arts training. I, I've done, I'm quite sporty. I've done sport a lot. I've done quite a lot of training for sport a lot of my life. And I used to run a lot. And yeah, so I haven't, I haven't done, and I do, I, 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 I do do lots of sport, but no, no martial arts training. I'm thinking of taking up Taekwondo though. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. So that same year you did Slaughterhouse Rules with Simon Pegg and Nick Frost alongside uh, Asa Butterfield from Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. And your yeah. character, Clemsy, gets down and dirty with some amazing creature effects and over-the-top gore. So how yeah. fun How fun was that experience? That was so fun. I feel like as a group, we kind of all reverted back to how we behaved at school because you're wondering <laughs> if it's uniform. <laughs> and we're in these amazing locations and the monsters are amazing because they're all puppets as well. So you had these monsters that could open their mouths and their tongue would come out. Oh, so that so was all practical effects? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Most of them were. So we had proper proper creatures and the little wormy thing that we find actually moved and came out and opened its mouth. And yeah, they were all, they were all proper. Yeah. That is so fun. There was one point where we were in the tunnels and the creature that comes out when we're, we're with Nick on the floor, he kind of comes around the corner. And every time he was, because there's a human being in this thing, in <laughs> yeah. this monster outfit. He couldn't get to us quick enough. So every single time we'd, we'd hit the queue and then there'd be a sort of 10 second pause while this thing would come lumbering around the corner, which would obviously make us laugh every single time. So you know, <laughs> but it was really, I mean, it was really, really quite, quite amazing what they did with the monsters. I'm a huge Shaun of the Dead fan. So how was it working with Simon Pegg and Nick Frost? That's like my dream is to just hang out yeah. with those two. Completely. I mean, I, I watched... Shaun of the Dead as a huge fan, obviously Hot Fuzz, like those films again, yeah. I mean, it like defined my childhood. So working with them was just amazing. I'd met Simon before at the Mission Impossible premieres and press stuff. So I knew him from that, but 
both of them are just so funny and lovely and they were producers and also in the film so they're around quite a bit but yeah Simon would come and hang with us in the tent and it's just lovely they both <laughs> what about that that private school set is that a, was that a real private school it's like it looks like Hogwarts for real yeah so one of the one of the locations was Stowe School which is actually a, a boarding private school so that was pretty amazing I mean it's a ridiculous looking school you wouldn't believe it it looks like Hogwarts they've got the grounds are ridiculous I mean yeah <laughs> Well, so what's next for you in terms of films or TV projects that are that are coming out after this? So I've got, well, Sea Fever on the 10th of April and then May, a TV show I shot end of last year is coming out called We Hunt Together, which is a crime thriller which follows a girl who makes friends with the friends and forms a relationship with an ex-child soldier who is in the UK seeking asylum and it's about their adventures and crimes which then get tracked by a pair a pair of um police a policeman and policewoman yeah so it's a crime thriller basically cat and mouse situation um where they're going after this this pair oh that's super fun oh we can't wait for that it kind of tips into it's dark comedy but also very serious drama and human studies so it's a it's an interesting mix it kind of it really, it really does the balance well, I think, between the two. You're, you're in a movie called The Misfits, directed by Rennie Harlan, correct? Correct, I am. With uh, starring Pierce Brosnan, Tim Roth, uh, Nick Cannon. And is, is that still scheduled to be released uh, sometime this year or perhaps next? I think so. I don't know what's happened in terms of coronavirus, but, but I, think, I think it is. I mean, I, I haven't had an update since coronavirus, so I don't know exactly when. But yeah, I haven't seen it yet, so I'm excited to see it. Yeah, Brenny Harlan, uh, he's directed Die Hard 2, he directed Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master, also uh, Deep Blue Sea, Exorcist the Beginning, The Convent. So he's done quite quite a few horror movies in, in, in between some of these action movies. So I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, no, I'm really excited as well. It was such an interesting production as well because it was, it was the most international set I've, I've ever been on. We, there was an Indian crew and... Um, there was a Russian DP and um, yeah, it was, it was, and then all the actors are from all over the world as well. So it was incredibly, um, it was incredibly international as a collective. It was great. Well, Hermione, thank you again so much for joining us and anyone who's been listening, you have homework to do during self-isolation. You got to see Rust Creek, Slaughterhouse Rules, Pride, Prejudice and Zombies. And as of April 10th, Sea Fever. Hermione, you are amazing. Thanks again. Thank you. Awesome. That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 118. Special thanks to our guest, Hermione Corfield. Follow her at Hermione Corfield on Instagram and Miney Corfield on Twitter. At time of release, catch Sea Fever on demand and digital April 10th and tonight. Thursday, April 9th at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern at seafever.watchdust.com. Gunpowder and Sky sci-fi label Dust hosts the live stream premiere. The first ever live stream premiere of a feature film. Get your questions answered by the cast and crew via a moderated Q&A following the credits. Production tracks for this episode provided by Power Man 5000. Till next time, it's the Boo Crew saying stay safe, stay healthy, and sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The 
Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Chen, chopped and sliced by Trevor Chen. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. The Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy, disturbing and terrifying creepypastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.